This is Simple Roots Radio, episode 27, and it's all about meat. What to buy, what to eat, and everything in between. You can't rely on the, the farmer and the corporation and the companies to do it. You need the consumers pushing those companies to give them what they want. It, you know, if no one buys it, they won't raise it. I mean, I know that sounds very cliche and it's said a lot, but we really, at the end of the day, vote with our food dollar because they're not going to put something in a grocery store if nobody's going to buy it. Welcome to Simple Roots Radio with Alexa Schur. Alexa believes that simplicity in life is the key to achieving true and lasting health. A nutritionist by trade, Alexa has rebelled against common misconceptions about nutrition and has created a realistic health style that will allow you to live a healthy, satisfied, and more simplistic life. It's raw, it's real, it's unfiltered. It's Simple Roots Radio. And now your host, Alexa Scherr. Welcome back to this podcast. As always, I just wanted to remind you that this show is dedicated to simplifying your health, allowing you to live with more purpose, more joy, and ultimately achieve the lasting health you've been looking for. Today's episode gets straight to the heart of health, and that is, what are we filling our body with? In this episode, we'll be talking with Nick Wallace of Wallace Farms. He is a grass-fed farmer, and by that we mean 100% finished grass-fed. He has a passion and respect for the land and animals and a great desire to bring health back to real nourishing foods. I'm excited to have him fill us in on all things meat as well as food labeling. Today, I'll be asking Nick about why so much of the meat in the U.S. is grain-fed and why this isn't good for our health, if he expects the prices of grass-fed nutritional food to ever come down, if you can really get sick from undercooked meat, and so much more. This is going to be an insightful episode that will help you cut through the confusion and make informed choices at the grocery store. Welcome to the show, Nick. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you, Alexa. Yeah. Good we could do this. Yeah. So Nick and I actually, we've known each other for a little while. I mean, it's probably been longer than I realized, four plus years. But Nick was really the first one that introduced me to grass-fed meat, and I I had learned about it. I had studied it. And I met Nick right about the time when I was really starting to get into the more holistic side of health and um, really stretch my knowledge into this aspect. And so it was always fun getting to chat with Nick and, and learn more about his perspective. So I wanted to bring that on the show today. So Nick is a grass-fed farmer. In fact, could I clarify that as 100% grass-fed, right? That's pretty rare to yep, be 100%, 100% grass-fed. Yep, 100% grass-fed. And then when you're talking about animals that we are finishing, that we offer, you know, for our meat program, it, they, you know, it's grass-finished now. So, right. You know, so, so not cows, just grass-fed. Cows and ca- yeah, right. We have cows and calves that are grass-fed, and then the animals that are being raised, mostly steers, um, those are being grass-fed and grass-finished. Yeah, in this day and age... You really have to be specific because you're starting to see some corporations kind of jump into the mix and try to capitalize on wordplay and and right. uh, the lack of oversight. But we can get into that later on. Right. Yeah, because I want to so, bring that up later on because there was a restaurant I just saw a commercial for that is now publicizing its chilies, actually, that they have grass-fed burgers. And so I want to get into that later. But I want to first know, why is grass-fed farming so rare. Like, I mean, it seems like few and far between. 
I, I'll give you a little bit of history. I think that will help it, uh, the listeners. This is kind of how, when I started my evolution of learning the industry, um, everything was grass fed, pasture raised up until approximately, you know, world war two. If animal, if animals or ruminants, cows were getting any type of grain, it was very, very limited, um, because the, the grains before world war two were few and far between. And they were such a commodity mm-hmm. that they didn't want to, they didn't want to give a ruminant animal grain. They, you know, they had plenty of forage. They were giving their grains, um, they're even either making them for food or they were feeding them to chickens and, and hogs that have um, more of an omnivore stomach. Mm-hmm. So really everything up until World War II was the pasture-raised grass-fed animal. When we came back from World War II, we brought with it a lot of technological advances in way of machinery and assembly line type, you know, tractors and bigger and bigger, better agriculture. They also brought back with them the chemicals and the, you know, the chemical engineers that started doing herbicides and chemical fertilizers and so forth. And that really spawned an age of bigger yields and bigger yields meant we could feed ruminant animals excess grain, even though they weren't efficiently digesting them. They just, it it changed the whole bottle. Right. So we had glut, we started to have a glut of grain, and that grain went to all animals, not just omnivores. So grass-fed kind of went by the wayside, and people that were doing grass-fed, you know, the animals kind of tasted a little off because they weren't, you know, raising them right, and there was some bad grasses that had been established uh, through the 30s and 40s and 50s. So it was just kind of a, a perfect storm of sorts that that made way for grain finished feedlots across the Midwest. Yeah. Right. And it's not as easy as just setting a cow loose in a pasture. I mean, you're talking that these animals have to eat the right kind of grass. And so with that, like what is the difference between like in the life of an animal between a grass fed cow and a grain fed cow? Well, it's become a kind of become a lost art to, take an animal all the way through the process with nice daily gains. You're not pushing it. They're still adding, you know, meat and muscle and fat. I mean, that's the, that's the whole goal is that we have this beautiful, healthy animal and it's nourishing us. So it needs to be as healthy as it can. And we're looking for protein and fat. Um, so with that, it, it's almost an apples and oranges scenario between grain fed and grass fed. Grain fed beef is very fatty and the fat that's in there is not rich with health. Mm-hmm. It's actually riddled with, you know, stored toxins, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, pushed hard on antibiotics and, and an unnatural diet. If you do the same thing that human beings look what, you know, look what you're seeing across the country is right. epidemic of huge proportions because everybody's overweight and unhealthy because as you know, and your audience probably knows at this point, you store your toxins in your fat. So the more weight you put on, the more risk you have for storing things that are the body's not wanting. (laughs) Same thing goes for ruminant animals. You know, the fatter they get on on the worst diet that they're on and you eat that diet, then essentially you're just transferring their unhealthy characteristics into your diet. 
That's kind of how I look at it. Right. I assume it takes a longer process to actually finish a grass-fed animal versus a grain-fed animal. Uh, Is that another perk that why so many farmers do the grain-fed route? Yep. It's easier. It creates a more consistent product, albeit bland. I think think that grain-fed meat is very lacking of flavor. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not a complete... 100% 100% purist. I eat grain-fed beef when I'm out somewhere and I have no other choice. Right. So when I do that, I, I just notice the lack of flavor. Mm-hmm. And the flavor comes from the soil soil and the grass. So, you know, grain-fed, they can throw them in these lots. They all taste the same. They all grow rapidly. And it's easier and it's there's not a lot of thought process to it. And, yes, that makes it much easier for some of these you know, a lot, and a lot of when we say farmers with cattle, mm-hmm. there's very few far, farmers that finish animals themselves anymore. They raise calves and they sell calves that are, you know, five or six hundred pounds. You know, the calves that are off their moms. Right. They sell them, sell them to these huge corporation feedlots. Very rarely do you have a farmer that finishes and sells grain-fed meat. Uh It's a dying thing. Even that's a dying art and a process. They just don't want to do it anymore. So the feedlots are really what we're talking about when we talk about beef that you're buying in large scale from, you know, restaurants and grocery stores. So Right. I really want to know how you got into grass-fed farming because we live in Iowa. Nick lives not too far from where I do, and it really is in the middle of conventional farming land. And, um, you know, how did, how did this begin for you? I would say that like, I think like a lot of people have reached this, it came out of a necessity from my family. I'm 39 right now. So 20 years ago, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, cancer of the lymph nodes. They say they don't know why, you know, um, but I would say it's an environmental cancer. Some of my homeopath doctors would say that they are pretty sure that it was a chemical-induced cancer due to probably atrazine or different chemicals in the environment. So, you know, I grew up in small farming community where well water and and just daily exposure to it um, was probably the case. So the family, you know, we I was... I had cancer. I went through chemo and surgery and all that good stuff before we were really aware. So once that happened, my dad was working for a lot of organic dairy farmers and bee farmers through a grass a grass seed company that he, he had. And so he saw Sally Fallon speak from the Weston A. Price Foundation. He came home and said, hey, this lady just opened my eyes to the lack of nutrition or the detrimental effects of a poor diet, which our family hadn't really focused on. I mean, my mom still cooked from scratch, but, you know, as I went off to college, I just ate poorly and it, you know, created problems with my immune system. Mm-hmm. So the family cha- the family was on a mission to change the way we ate. And then, you know, a couple bells went off and dad came to me and said, hey, we've got a family farm here close to you that's been in the family for over 100 years. 
why don't we transition it back to grass and forage? And why don't we start a grass-fed beef company? We had a friend that was raising really good grass, uh, grass-fed beef, and he was wanting us to market his beef. So we, we started a marketing company and we started the farm at the same time. So cool how that all worked out. You mentioned that your dad had heard someone speak on the grass-fed and corn-fed animals and the difference nutritionally. Can you just speak a little bit about the difference nutritionally between a grass-fed animal and a grain-fed animal? Because I think so many people go automatically to how the animal is raised, but just nutritionally, like if we even set aside how the animal is raised, there's such a nutritional difference in the quality of meat. It's essentially two different profiles. On one hand, you've got a very fatty fat-laden, unhealthy animal that's carrying a lot of those toxins in the fat. Antibiotics, because they have to put it in the feed now. Because if you're feeding a high-grain diet, the rumen, which is their stomach, is very inflamed. It comes down with a condition untreated called acidosis, which is essentially kind of like if humans have like no fiber in their diet, you know, acid Mm -hmm. reflux and Right. And, and just chronic, chronically, just do you just do not feel well, and so it's the same thing on the on the grain fed diet. An animal that's inflamed, it needs um, a drug called rumenzin, which is kind of a um, a high powered um, acid reflux pill, if you will, for a cow. It keeps their body in check long enough so that they can get processed before they, you know, really fall ill and die. So they're getting pumped with that. They're getting growth hormones to help them put on extra weight quicker, and they're just really being pushed. Um, So that, which is very low in omega-3s, which a lot of people know about omega-3s, it has very little CLA, conjugated linoleic acid, which is a really great fatty, long-chain fatty acid. So they're very low in that, very low in omega-3, and the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio is way out of whack very high omega-6 versus omega-3. So go on to the other side of the equation. You've got an animal that has is a really healthy animal. Its rumen's really healthy. It has no inflammation. It's got high CLA, high omega-3. The omega-3 to omega-6 ratio is, is in line and no toxicity load in its fat profile. So... You just you're, you know it's really two different products. So when you're eating the grass-fed animal, it's something that your body not only um, prefers because it tastes better. You know your body, your taste buds, I think resonate with a really healthy product, right? Whether it be from the garden or meat or you know what, whatever you want to call it. I just think that scratch food that's really nutrient dense. It's like your body recognizes it and it subconsciously craves it. Right. So it's more fulfill more fulfilling on your taste buds, but I think it's more fulfilling and more nutrient dense and you're just your body responds to it a lot better. Right. And I think it's interesting because conjugated linoleic acid is one of the things that we see so many people deficient in. And it's just because people don't get it anymore, you know, and grass and meat and the fat of it is one of the best sources of that. Um, and people just aren't getting it. And it really is having a huge effect on our body. So I just want to kind of back up to how the cows eat 
you know, so often, and I was going to ask this question, you kind of answered it, but I wanted to get into it a little bit more. We often hear in the media that cows are not designed to eat grains. Like, you know, there's all these documentaries now about, you know, the life of the animal and the health of the animal, and yet they still are able to finish them. It's true that cows aren't designed to eat grain, but how do they handle it so well? Is it really just because of the medication that they're giving them? Yeah, mostly. They're they're putting just enough fiber, you know, like a, a hay or a right. some type of a, you know, a, they're grinding up like wheat mids or just enough of a buffer. So they're kind of, they're always monitoring that room. They're pushing that animal just to the point where they can't push them enough. And they're doing it with, with some drugs, you know, they're putting it in the feed and, and they, they're constantly checking, you know, those, those guys who monitor those feedlots, you know, they pull out dead animals you know, routinely. Right. And so they're, they're, they're always stressed that they're, are they pushing them hard enough to get the, you know, the profits or so, and they've gotten that down to a science, but mm-hmm. you know, as Joel Salatin would say, they're hitting the bullseye on the wrong target. Mm. You know, I mean, right. we, we can, we can do, do it a much better, easier way on forage out and finish them out on grass and outside of that huge feedlot environment. Right. So they're dialing in their systems and they're producing, you know, a very highly efficient race car type animal, Mm -hmm. but it's at the cost of the animal. And then it's at the cost of those people that are buying the product and not knowingly eating, you know, a flawed product. Right. That totally makes sense. So when let's talk about labeling though, for a minute, because when we look at an animal, so you can just assume that if if it doesn't label grass-fed or it doesn't have any kind of label on it, then it's automatically grain-fed, correct? Well, so labeling about, oh, I don't know if it's been a year. The USDA actually backed out of the monitoring of grass-fed beef and the labeling because they said that they didn't have the legal oversight and the the jurisdiction to mm-hmm. monitor the grass-fed beef with the agency that they were doing it. You know, everyone's asking, why are they doing this? doesn't make any sense because we had grass-fed beef protocols. They were very loose, but they were protocols. Mm-hmm. So my, call it a conspiracy theory, call it, I mean, who knows if we'll ever see, see if this is the real reason, but I think the USDA backed away from the labeling, the labeling oversight, because they are seeing that these larger corporations are feeding a huge amount of this ethanol mm-hmm. byproduct and cor- corn gluten, and um, they're using a lot of wheat, wheat mids, which is kind of a byproduct when they harvest wheat. You know, it's kind of right. like the, the, uh, all the other, the other stuff minus the wheat. Well, there's wheat that still slips through, and it still has some starch in it, and it's from a wheat field up north that's sprayed with glyphosate two weeks before they harvest so that they Mm -hmm. can harvest the field evenly. Uh So imagine spraying glyphosate Roundup on a field that has heavy residual and all that's going into a grass-fed beef ration. Right. Right? Right. Does anybody who's buying grass-fed beef on the label at chain stores do the people that buy that grass-fed beef think that they're buying animals that are eating a huge ration of that 
in a feedlot setting? Yeah. Probably not. Right. And now there's now technically nobody really has oversight. So there's really no sheriff uh-huh. that's monitoring this. So so it's almost like we've gone to a well, an honor a volunteered honor policy. Right. So you can you can imagine what that means to the people that are doing it on a large scale. I mean, you're essentially just giving them right. freelance to do whatever they want. That's why it's so important to buy from a label or a small farmer or a mid to small farmer that you know is raising right. They're, they're posting photos and videos and, you know, they're telling you on Facebook and marketing to you saying, please look, look at us. This is what we're doing. Right. And if you're wondering, gosh, I don't know if this label at this bigger store, I don't, you know, I go to their website and I go to about us, I go to their Facebook and you really don't find anything. Mm -hmm. Well, you're not, you're not finding anything because they really don't want to go out and market what they're doing. I mean, they want to just put on the label, it's grass fed and let's just move on with the day. Right. Mm-hmm. They don't want their cons- they don't want their consumers engaged, and so I really think that that will def- that will define where the next ten years goes in agriculture. Right. It can it could really go it could really go big grass fed beef corporation, or it could go sway and swing into the huge favor of companies and people like myself across the country. And there's a lot of really good ones, you know, like small, like state or regional, um, regional players that are Mm -hmm. really trying to do it right. So, I mean, I I think we're kind of at a tipping point here. Are we going to see one or the other of those two things happen? Mm -hmm. Hopefully we see it swing towards what we're trying to do. Right. But I don't know. I mean, you can't rely on the, the farmer and the corporation and the companies to do it. You need the consumers mm-hmm. pushing those companies to give them what they want. If, you know, if no one buys it, they won't raise it. I mean, I know that sounds very cliche and it's said a lot, but we really, at the end of the day, vote with our food dollar because they're not going to put something in a grocery store if nobody's going to buy it. Right. Right. We're the ones that set the food trends, which I think is so fascinating because so often we see people pointing fingers at the farmer and the industry, but really it's in our hands and it's us taking ownership of that. And and I really like to bring that point up because you really have to know the source of your food because when it comes to labeling, there really is no, there's no magic word or verbiage that's ever used in a label. So what you're basically saying is just because it says grass fed doesn't mean it's really grass fed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens if it says organic? So organic could be anything that's just, it could be grain that's organic. It just has to be fed organically. Yeah. So you've got organic now, which could be grain, probably is. Then you've got organic grass fed, which to me is a better buy. It's going to be a lot more expensive because at least you know that the feedstuffs that's going into them are organic. I mean, you could probably still use a little bit of a, you know, some supplements that aren't technically a hundred percent grass fed. Right. But unless, unless they're, you know, unless they're trying to, you know, play the game a little bit, organic grass fed is a better bet, but still, you know, I just, 
I just don't want to buy something that's from a bigger company because you just, there's not a lot of accountability. I mean, you, you can't, even if you get on the website and start asking questions, I mean, you're, you're just getting it from someone who's in their customer service department. I mean, it's, you know, I I don't want to say that all companies are bad because they're not, but, and we're pushing more organic, which is good because it's just less pesticides and, and, you know, fungicides and all that. But it's just, you know, there's more companies out there. It's just, and I'm not just saying it's me. I mean, you you have listeners from all over the company. Try to reach out locally. If you can't find someone locally, try to get somebody who's regional. And if you can't find that, you know, come, come order from somebody who can ship it to you. And, and we just started that. And so, yeah, we would love to have customers all over the all over the country, you know, us shipping them products. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if you've got if you've got somebody in your backyard that's really doing it great, show up or talk to them and get it from them. You know, if it makes a lot of sense. If it's if you're living in a city and you're like, God, I don't know where to go, then find somebody like us or like somebody else that you like that can can ship you the products because it's it's trending that way. Right. It's it's so easy to ship products now in boxes that you can really at the at your computer get whatever you want right to your door, which if I still lived in the city, I'd probably instead of fighting the crowds and going to Whole Foods and spending my whole paycheck, I'd probably I'd probably rather rather just get it to my door. Right. And I mean it makes sense. And and like you said, there's there's not a lot of standards and I get the question all the time. Well, what label should I look for? And I'm like, well, it's so tricky because there's so many different uses of the same word. And like you said, there's not a lot of regulation or any sort of police that um, kind of watches over those. And so really the best option is to know the source and go with the best source. And those are the farmers who are really valuing what they're doing and showing you that. Um, and then the next best option, if you can't do that, is that organic grass-fed combination together. But like we talked about, cost is a big factor. At this point, grass-fed is still more than grain-fed. Is this issue completely driven by the consumer's purchases, or are the farming practices just more costly? And so in the end, the price will never be driven down by more people purchasing it. Like, is it always just going to be a higher dollar item? Uh, I think so. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's always it's always going to be a couple bucks more for ground beef. You know, it's always going to be premium steaks. It's right. because it's more time. It's more time. Mm-hmm. It's more knowledge. It's more labor. It's we don't have the infrastructure, so the processing's a little bit more. The trucking, the just it, everything's on a smaller scale. Okay, so if you sat down and said, I'm going to spend. 100 to 200 dollars more per month on my meat, milk and cheese and vegetables, right? To get the right. best that I can get. So I'm so I'm spending 200 bucks more. People say, "Oh gosh, that 200 bucks. It's a couple grand more per year." Which if you really look at all the purchases that you make for <laughs> your entertainment and <laughs> Starbucks mm-hmm. and this Zappos and I'm just looking at my family, you know, what we do. <laughs> Are you so, playing the Starbucks card? I mean, <laughs> no, gosh, I shouldn't have named names. No. Okay, so you're high in coffee, right? Right. But it's, it's true though. It's, it's like, true. Okay, we can spend five dollars a day on coffee, but yeah, two hundred bucks a month. Yeah. Yeah, two hundred bucks. And if you're challenged in that area, 
man, you can, you can find, you know, 75, 25 ground beef in a homemade spaghetti with tomatoes, you know, by the bulk. I mean, so you, and you're making food from scratch. It's trust me, it is not that much more. You're just, you're, you're saving the money because you're doing your own labor. Right. You're either paying somebody else to cook your food or to make your food cheaper, you know, or more expensive, but you don't have the time or you're doing the time and not paying them the labor mm-hmm. and your food probably tastes a lot better. Right. You know, so right. it's, I, I fall into the trap. I'm sure you fall into the trap. We all do mm-hmm. invest in your food and your food will be taste better and it'll be better for your family and everybody will just be that much happier. Right. And I always look at it as a nutritionist, you know, like I see so many external sources of nutrition being offered and people relying on that, like that sense of, oh, I need to take my multivitamin and I need to take my omega-3 and and that's all great. But we have to remember that the food source is so much more rich in that nutrient and in the right, um, in the right properties. And so, I always think of it as like some people are spending over a hundred dollars a month on nutrition, external nutrition, when if they just ate better quality of food, they might not even need the need for that. I mean, I'm not trying to put it down altogether, but there is something to eating real food and getting the, the nutrition out of that versus, you know, just taking a supplement um, where your body's just, you know, absorbing a small percentage of that. So I think that's cool. So we don't have a lot of time left. Yeah. And so I thought I would switch to maybe a little bit more of Less about the science and more fun questions. So Nick is not only a grass-fed farmer, but an expert in the kitchen. You took some classes at a culinary institute. I did. I moved from Chicago kind of about the same time that we started with the business. And I moved from the city out to the mountains of Colorado. I did a culinary, a European-style culinary apprenticeship out in Keystone, Colorado. Ironically, I live in Keystone, Iowa, so it must have been fate. Right. But uh, I'm not a chef. I'm a very solid cook that enjoys cooking most of the time. Right. When I'm really busy, I get stressed out and don't want to cook, and that's my kind of my pitfall. But um, when I have time, I really love being in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing so freeing about it, but I want to ask you a few questions. So can seem like a silly question, but can we really get sick from consuming undercooked meat? Not if you, I, okay. So the lawyers speak, I'm sure. Yes. Every, <laughs> everybody has a poten- right. potential, but I routinely enjoy beef tartare. So I'll take right. ground beef that we have in wallet while I make doctoring up burgers. Right. Uh-huh. And I, my, my mom did it growing up. So, you know, n- none of the other family likes it, but me and my mom were always sneaking, you know, bites of raw ground beef before we cooked it. Right. Um, and I hear my, my grandma does that. Like sure. it's, it's not in, it was not an uncommon practice, but it is any more tainted as right. like, you shouldn't eat undercooked meat. I'm going, if I, you, you couldn't tell me to go to the grocery store, buy a gra- pound of ground beef and do that. There's no way am I eating raw, raw ground beef from the grocery store. Um, so it's all plays into your processing, right? your raising practices and the freshness and all that. Right. So, and you're not getting 2,000 old dairy cows into one pound of ground beef, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, the animals that went into it. There's a, there's like no risk to, um, whole muscle meat. So like steaks and roasts, 
So that's like, you know, that's from one animal. So there's, there's like no risk of, in my opinion, of eating that raw. Right. So steak tartare, steak tartare all day long. Right. Right. So, right. Now chicken and chicken and pork, you know, I mean, I'm not to say that I don't cook my pork a little bit on, you know, like just barely a hint of pink mm-hmm. so that I don't overcook it. Chicken breast, maybe, you know, I, I mean, I try to nail that like perfectly just juicy, not overcooked. I think a lot of people have a hard time with that. Right. But it, you just gotta like practice and it's all about touch. When it really starts to bounce back, when you press on it, that's when you take it off and let it rest for 10 minutes and it will, it'll be that perfect, not overcooked price. Right. And if it is, just throw it back in the oven for a little bit, right? Or right. Throw it back on the pan. Big right. deal. Right. But you'd, you'd be better off doing that than to overcooking it. And then your whole family thinks you don't know how to cook. Right. <laughs> it's true. We've all overcooked a piece of meat probably at some point in our life. But I always go with that too, that it's generally not the meat that's causing illness. It's the cross-contamination. So if we didn't wash our hands or we don't have clean cooking surfaces or just the quality of the meat. So I like that. So what's your favorite cut of meat or variety of meat? Like the thing you couldn't resist. I am a sucker for a New York strip. Mm. Or I have to say though, if I, when I cook my sirloins just right over some coals, um, I don't do grill, but I cook it over a coal and like an Argentine style. Yeah. The sirloin to me, the sirloin has the most flavor and it's still tender enough that it's just, I, I have to say a really, cause it's not expensive either. Right. So that's not know, like I mean, a cut of meat. Obviously I, yeah, obviously I get my meat for free, but I still like, if I'm eating a filet, I'm still kind of guilty. Cause I know like, Oh my God, this is a really expensive cut of meat, you know, but right. I guess maybe I enjoy that more too. But that sirloin is just like, you know, it's a, it's a economical piece of meat and I cook it right. And same with like the ranch cut or the flat iron mm-hmm. or the shoulder steak. I mean, they just, the flavors over the chart. And if you just cook it medium rare and if you slice it really thin, I mean, my seven-year-old and my three-year-old, I mean, they just devour that. So if you just slice it really thin, you're good. I mean, right. just don't overcook it. Yeah. Medium, medium rare. Right. So. So how, what are your like quick cooking tips on getting the perfectly cooked piece of meat? I would sear it, you know, and get that outside hot and get that sear going. And then I would turn the heat down uh-huh. and just, just don't keep touching it, prodding it. Just let it, let it cook two sides. Right. You just know, flip one. Yep. That, and don't be afraid to put in, you know, olive oil, maybe a little baking grease or a coconut oil and a little bit of butter kind of halfway through. And if you're doing it on, you know, on the cast iron or whatever and get that good sear, get it hot. And then when you flip it, turn it over and don't touch it. Just leave it for another three or four minutes. Poke it when it's kind of not soft anymore, take it off. And let it sit. So many people miss the let it sit part. I I learned this in school too. You got to let meat rest. Well, you've got it while you're resting, letting it rest. It's a, it's a good 10 minutes to get all your other things in line. And mm-hmm. you can let it rest for 20 minutes, 20 right. minutes. So, you know, it's like, that's the other hard part is, you know, not overcooking the broccoli, right? Because who wants mushy broccoli? Right. You know, you, you can get all your plays set. And, I mean, you know how it is. You got kids complaining or they're crying or they're, they need this or that. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm doing 85 things to try and get dinner on the plate. 
get your meat done, get it off the grill and get it tinfoil covered. And then you can just get the rest done. And I promise you that meat will just have time to turn into, you know, the, the centerpiece that right. you're going to like. Right. Yep. Are you just a salt and pepper kind of guy? Or do you add any special seasoning? I've, we've created a seasoned rub that I sell that I can't. And it's really just like granulated garlic and onion and a little bit of salt and some pepper. I mean, yeah. but it's just, oh, it just adds to the. Right. Just but yeah, enough. salt, pepper. I'm good with that. But I have a, yeah, I have this little blend that is super easy. I mean, right. it's like four ingredients, but it, it adds to that. I'll make sure and link that up in the show notes so everybody can get their hands on it and try it out. How about chicken breast cool. or pork? The white meat that seems so frightening. It's either undercooked or dry. Any tips to like perfect that? Is it the same? Like once it starts to, once you touch it, it kind of springs back up, then that's perfect or? Yep. Yep. And if your juices start to run clear, that's a great time to hit it one more flip, 30 seconds and off. Mm-hmm. Let it rest. Don't kill it. Like you said, if you start slicing it and you're like, Oh shoot, I you know, I'm not done. I would say finish slicing it and then put it back in your pan, put a little bit of butter in, and then cook it sliced in the pan for just a little bit uh-huh. with kind of the juices and the butter. Oh yeah. That's a really good thing to have. To keep it even moist. sometimes I'll pull it off too soon and then I'll just slice it up and put it back in the pan. Right. No big deal. Because I like to slice it for my boys anyway. So just a couple more questions before we wrap it up. So Outside of grass-fed meats, what's the one thing you think everyone should be doing for their health, their mind, or their personal growth? I know there's probably tons out there, but like, what's that one thing that you do every day for your own health? I know that health is really important to you as well. I'll list the one thing that I have a challenge with and I need to do more of. Uh-oh, we're going to hold you be, accountable. <laughs> I, I know. I, I need to just take carve out some time, relax when I'm cooking, and sit down and not eat rushed. Mm-hmm. You know, over a sink, like lunch, I'll eat over the sink because I'm like, you know, in between five jobs. Right. So just sit down and take, take a half an hour at lunch, take an hour and a half at dinner with the family. It, it is that family time over good food, cook scratch. I mean, I, I need to do more of that. Everybody needs to do more of that. And we all say, oh, we're too busy. We're too busy. And yeah. But maybe change the scheduling up a little bit. You know, I really should utilize the crock pot more mm-hmm. um, because, you know, if you throw it in in the morning, you come home and it smells great and like your protein's already done. Right. But if you're not, you know, if you're doing, if you're doing a, a wet cooking method versus a dry, like you're golden. So I should do that more. One more question. Tell us where they can find more about you. Wallace Farms is one of my companies. My, kind of our foundational family business of we do buying clubs, kind of group drops and parking lots and chiropractor's offices in Iowa and Illinois, Chicago area. And then we just launched a shipping program so we can ship meat to all of those customers that have moved or new customers and family members so we can ship all across the country. And then our other company is uh, us. Uh, kind of a healthy snack stick company called Mix Sticks. So it's mix-sticks.com. You can find us there. We're on Amazon. We do that. So it's kind of like a healthy Slim Jim. It's a good, healthy grass-fed beef and free-range turkey snack stick with organic seasonings. We yeah. make that pretty easy and accessible to get. 
So if you're looking for lunchbox ideas for your kid or, you know, gym bags and, you know, up at the office or wherever, it has saved us a many, many a day from having hunger pains in the middle or morning. And, um, yeah, so that's the, that's the two places you can find me and right. shoot me an email or whatever. I'll answer everything I can. Yeah, yep. and and I can attest that the next six are delicious, and as well as the meat. Um, we are monthly consumers of all of the Wallace Farms products, and so I'll make sure and link all of that in the show notes and give you all the information where you can find more about Nick and even purchase his products. So I'll give you some of my favorites on there as well, and link you to some of the recipes that I've used his meat in on my own blog. So thank you so much, Nick, for being here and for filling us in on this subject and helping us to learn more about it. My pleasure. I'll spend the rest of my life talking about this type of farming and food and cooking and all that. So it was a pleasure. I hope you found that as insightful as I did. And just to mention a few things that stood out to me during the show. Of course, being the nutritionist, these get brought up. But there's a great nutritional difference in the quality of meat. From the nutritional profile of a grain-fed animal versus a grass-fed one. They're almost non-comparable. One analogy I like to use is to think about it this way. If you took a human and fed it only greens, green vegetables, and vegetables grown straight from the earth, unadulterated, and then you took another human and fed it only grain products, like corn tortilla shells, wheat products, basically all the carbs, which do you think would be healthier? Hands down, it's not even negotiable, right? And it's the very thing that's making us humans sick as well, like excess carbohydrates with little nutritional profile. It's happening in humans and it's happening in our animals and thus why meat no longer has the nutrients we need. However, that is the perks of buying true 100% grass-fed meat. You get a lot of nutritional value, things I'm even seeing many people deficient in like conjugated linoleic acid. But the bottom line, like Nick mentioned, is knowing the source. Food labels are really not cutting it anymore. The food label police are stepping away and leaving it to us, the consumer to hash out. And that is why I love this show so much. It helps inform us that the farmers, the food industry, aren't the ones to blame, but they're simply following the path of what we purchase. We drive the market, not them. So knowing this information and together making a stand for true health, which starts with our small local farmers, is going to have a big impact on the legacy and health we live and pass down. So trust your gut and know your sources and place a value so high on your health that it takes away the burden of higher cost foods, knowing in time it all pays off. Because there is something to be said about achieving health through real food rather than a pill. With that, if you'd like to check out the Wallace family and the amazing products that they have, head on over to wallacefarms.com and check it out. They do amazing things, and what's even more incredible is they're now shipping to all 50 states. So that means you could have good meat come right to your door without any questions asked. I can promise they have the best meat I've ever tasted, and it's worth every penny. Plus, you can pick your cuts, even taking the processed food and making them healthy like hot dogs and brats. So make sure you check them out. And for a quick snack or addition to a lunch idea, you'll want to try some Nick Sticks, which can be found on Amazon or at nicks-sticks.com. They are the best beef jerky you'll ever eat. I can promise you that. And they've become a quick go-to for my kids when they're hungry and we're on the go. Remember, all of this information can be found in the show notes at simplerootswellness.com slash 027. 
Finally, as always, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you can stay up to date on the latest releases and the bonus episodes that will be coming your way. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review as this is a lifeblood of the show helping to make it findable and visible like other people who are ready to start a health journey and live a realistic health life that they love. The ratings and review will only take one minute out of your day and it means the world to me. It really is what drives the show and keeps it running. So to leave a rating and review, just log on to simplerootswellness.com slash review. And you can do that straight from your mobile device as well. I thank you so much in advance for that. So to leave you, I want to make sure that you know that you're not fighting this health battle alone. Together, we can make a stand and take ownership of our health. If you want more health, encouragement, meal plans, and exclusive content, then head on over to my site at simplerootswellness.com and sign up. It's easy and it just requires one small change at a time. So I'll see you next week with a very special episode on all the health implications of birth control.